everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and I'm delighted to be back. Um, as ever, I wish you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you're joining today's podcast from. And it seems like forever uh, since I said those words. It's been almost a year since I've been on the podcast. My thanks, of course, to Adam Parry, editor of Event Industry News, for holding the fort so capably over these uh, over these last few months. Um, and as I said, I'm delighted to be back. Um, I- I've missed doing these. I've missed the chance to talk to people and... Uh, the, the, the sort of the first person out of the traps uh, and my first victim of the podcast is Mr. Harlan Davis. Harlan is the VP of Product and Innovation at GDS Group. Um, Harlan, thanks very much for sort of taking the big risk of being my first guest back on the podcast. Oh, it's a it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I, I always get excited when I'm described as a victim. It makes me really, really <laughs> for, the, for, for the next uh, 30 to 45 minutes. But no, it's, it's great to be here uh, and great for you to be back as well. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's exciting. You know, so much has happened um, over the last uh, nine, ten months um, to sort of put things into perspective. Whenever people are, are tuning into this particular episode, um, we're recording this on the it's the twenty eighth, isn't it? Today, twenty eighth of January. Um, and yeah, we're coming up to almost a year of this of this craziness. First of all, let's ask you know a, 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 a personal question, Harlan. How are you? How are you during this lockdown? Um, I am, I am really good, actually. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, so many people talking about the end of the year, oh, goodbye to 2020, uh, worst year ever into 2021. And I understand a lot of people have had rough journeys, but, you know, really, the calendar just ticked over, we're still in a period of um, innovation, delivery, servicing our clients. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's been absolutely one of the most interesting times in the world. And a lot of people have had a really rough go of it and everybody has their journey. Um, so for us, it's, it's recognizing all of that. But um, at the same time, um, we had a we had a 2020 that as a company and to a person we can be proud of just in our on, on, in our ability to collectively pivot and, and keep going and still understand how we can continue to deliver value to our stakeholders in this disrupted world, right? So um, mm-hmm. it's been on one side, I feel like every other person does, right, in the world. And then on the other side, um, you find the silver linings, which is as a business, and business is all about people, um, our people have had the opportunity. And as a business, we've had an opportunity to continue to help our clients and our partners. So it's, it's you know, you hate to use the word silver linings because it's mm-hmm. not a silver lining, but I think like all of us, we're just conflicted in these times, right? You can do what you can do and, and you do your best at it, but the human element never escapes you for one moment. Absolutely. And um, you, you mentioned stakeholders, you mentioned clients, you know, being able to pivot and continue working and stay active and, and, and you know, maintain business um, in, in the last uh, nine or 10 months. Um, tell us about GDS Group, you know, what's its, what's its history and what it does now for anybody who may be unfamiliar with you? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll really talk about, I guess, the last 15 years or so. I mean, GDS Group has been around for nearly 30 years, um, founded and still um, run and owned by um, Spencer Green, who's our, our, our CEO and our founder. And it started as a, it's a bit, always been a business to business company. It started as a publishing company. Um, and it was always about providing the value to um, our two key stakeholder groups, which are executives um, in a number of different industries that we work in, as well as kind of cross-functional. So we have at this stage in the game, it's, it's summits and events. Um, so when I say industries, we work in retail, we work in healthcare, et cetera, but we also work across 
cross verticals. So we have um, offerings for CIOs, CMOs, um, health and safety, which spans multiple industries as well. And the history of the publishing company was to produce great business to business journals and publications for a select audience um, with great content that enabled them to learn and do better in their roles as executives. And it was a great platform for the world's leading solution providers and technology companies and service providers to advertise and get in front. And as the years progressed, as you know, you and I had a brief chat earlier, um, you know, a lot of event companies um, as they operate today started kind of as something else. So that that heritage um, took its way into us becoming a company that purely focused on events about 15, 12, 15 years ago or so. Um, and, and always concentrating on bringing that same value to those different stakeholders, but just doing it through a different vehicle. Um, sure. So that, you know, so that's that's kind of the heritage. And yeah, for the last you know 10, 12 years, the, the core part of the business in terms of where does most of the, the revenue and the activity come from is hosting between 50 and 100 executive summits per year um, where we would curate and cultivate a, a really um, sophisticated, content schedule across you know two and a half three days where we invited down executives who you fit the target brief of, of our summits and they're not huge summits right we're not a big conference um uh you know organized or anything like that our summits were 60 to 100 you know uh, invited executives who mm-hmm. come down for two or three days to learn and share and participate in you know, uh, you know content across a few days that you know keynotes and workshops and the ability to discuss peer-to-peer um, and they would bring with us, bring with them and provide us their key initiatives and their project intelligence and the things that they were looking to invest in this year. And that was their commitment to us and what they get out of it is learning connections and finding some of the best solutions and things in the world. And we had 15 to 25 sponsors and solution providers who are our partners on many we've worked with for years who, who sponsor those summits, right? So they would come down and participate in the, in the same two and a half, three days. Um, the intelligence and the data that we collect from our executives and our delegations we would use to, you know, in addition to the content portion of these two or three days, the uh, sponsors would be paired and matched with one-to-one meetings with executives where they can really solve some of these most pressing digital transformation challenges, which has really been the theme of every summit, regardless of what industry we're in or, you know, cross vertical that we're working in. Um, and, and, and that's been what we've done. We've always strived to provide the, the key value for our sponsors. It was about creating new pipeline for them, creating, uh, you know, positioning their brand front of mind with with top executives and companies, giving them thought leadership, um, you know, pedestals as well, mm-hmm. accelerating, you know, you know, sales cycles and pipelines. And for our executives, they need to learn, they need to connect, they need to find the right people to work with. So that's what we've been doing physically for 15 years. Um, and come March with 50 summits on the schedule, hotels booked around the world, delegations book that that was the challenge that we were faced with um, in terms of that part of the business um, and on the other side um, we have been running digital events um, with the other division of the business which is called meet the boss which is similar in the value we deliver it's about bringing um, opportunity for sponsor and technology companies and solution providers and you know and when I say solution providers, we work with some of the biggest companies in the world. So IBMs, the Dells, the HPs, et cetera, but rather in a summit format, it was a more, it's a more um, curated personal event where we work with them to develop content and create virtual roundtables of six or seven targeted executives from areas and industries that they're looking to target. And we'd help them curate the content, go out and acquire those delegates who are interested in a roundtable discussion amongst group of peers with a representative from the solution provider company. Um, and you'd be shocked to know that that part of the company across the first few months of COVID 
uh, did because it's a digital offering grew by about 300%. Absolutely shocking. Yeah. You know, that, that, that that's what no, happened. Right? No, no, no surprises, but, but it's interesting that, 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 that side of the business was, was running prior to, to, to the, the, the situation that we're all living with in at the moment. And um, I think it's important to remember that, you know, di digital events and the idea of running virtual and or hybrid events is something that's been around for far longer than COVID has been around. Sure. Um, it, it was in some respects, the sort of uh, the kick up the backside that was necessary for people to really embrace them. And they had no choice arguably, but it's important to remember that we were, we were very much as an industry looking towards what virtual events could bring as benefit to certain clients, depending on what their specific needs were. So this is something that you're obviously working on before. So did, did, did it make the transition of being able to then take live summit clients into the virtual world a little bit easier? The fact that you had this division already set up there that was ostensibly doing that already, just without the, the, the sort of cloud of COVID. Yeah, it, it definitely did. Um, but I think my answer as to why it did might be um, maybe not what you're expecting. So for, for us and for GDS, and, and we are we are an events company, and events companies have come in many shapes, sizes, you know, you know, all, all that stuff. But for us, it's always been about whether it's a, a, a virtual roundtable, the format I just described, where we have a, a company such as Dell or IBM who runs hundreds with us a year, and helping them develop the right content to host a session amongst six like-minded executives from different companies that they're trying to get into the conversation with or a summit it's always been about what is the value that we want our stakeholders whether it's a sponsor solution provider or the attendee walking away with and whether an event is physical or digital from gds's perspective and it's always been our north star and our ethos it's about providing that value so yes we've been running those virtual roundtables at scale for for many many years which is great and exciting because we have some pedigree and we are familiar with technology, but what was really, um, what I feel really gave us the um, the advantage, you know, is that we understand that it's still all about that interaction. So, so if you look at what our virtual roundtables were, it's a different interaction than, you know, a hundred executives and twenty solution providers coming to a summit. But the value of what we want them to walk away with was the same. So yes, it gave us a bit of an advantage, and yes, it's nice to have a pedigree where you have customers and 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 executives who work with you and, and get a lot out of interacting with your events. But it was all it was also about us understanding the value that digital can deliver versus the mechanism of how you do it in the first place. Because technology is technology, right? I mean, yes, we, we had some systems and things set up and we have some very talented people who were able to accelerate, but it was actually about creating our ability to be successful for the past 10 years, creating digital engagement and having people walk away saying that was really worth it. That's where the confidence came to say, we're not scared to do that at a larger scale with our summits. As long as we keep our eye on what's the value we want people walking away from on both stakeholder sides, that's where I feel like we were ahead of the curve. Um, the, the execution mechanism in terms of technology and stuff, um, that's just a matter of doing it. But really believing that that execution will deliver the value is what gives you the confidence to do it at scale and pivot your products, which weren't normally digital, quicker. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely it does. And one thing that... I don't know if you'd, you'd agree with this, but um, some from some experiences I had in the in the autumn with with virtual events, I think one of the biggest issues that that, that faced delivery providers like yourselves um, is not having to change or suddenly create an infrastructure that allowed you to do it, because most 
big delivery companies and AV companies had the technology, the hardware and the capability to do these type of events, you know, straight away. I think the difficult learning curve was actually the people who attend those. So the people who are, who are delivering a keynote session, the people who are speaking in a panel discussion, the delegates themselves who are coming to actually watch that. That, I think, was where the steep learning curve was, was getting all of those people to understand the technology, to understand how to set up their laptops, where to put their camera, you know, whether they should be wearing headphones or not, you know, basic things about lighting. You know, I, I know that some of this cropped up in it when I was um, when I was lucky enough to sort of host the uh, Event Tech Live virtual event last year. Um, is, is that the sort of experience that you guys had through GDS is, is that there was an actually a, an almost a separate vertical education stream that had to be pushed out to actually get the people attending um, up to speed with what they would need to do? Uh, yes, there's, there's always an element of that, right? Because there's a, there's a human element. Everything we do is about the people, right? So there, there is, and there was, I think if I look back, because what we did with the summits, which was our biggest pivot by far, right? Because we were taking 50 plus virtual summits, thousands of executives and running them digitally is we really kind of made two pivots in 2020. And the first one was in March making the decision. And I think it's, it's a reflection of, of our leadership and Spencer and goes throughout the company. It's really about the people not about any individual about being brave and saying we're going to do this because if there's one thing that didn't change is that our executives and our delegates across all the verticals and cross vertical experiences and summits we provide their their lives accelerated they still needed and arguably even more to connect with each other to find out what other people are doing um the the, the thing that everybody says six years of digital transformation in nine months well if you really look at that um they had bigger budgets because their challenges and their goalposts had changed. So the needs and that the value that we provided them um, didn't change if anything it intensified. And the same thing for our solution providers where the market got even more competitive because people are you know, looking for these new solutions. So, so that's a really good starting point because we have such a good relationship with our partners, both stakeholder sides that this wasn't just us saying, this is what we're doing, you need to figure it out we brought them along with dialogue for the ride to explain to them we're still there to bring you together and to deliver the value that you need even if this is going to be a new way of you doing it logging into a virtual summit a virtual event yeah. so when we pivoted everything to june it was not on the uh truly immersive engaging studio-based platform that we have now where we actually run the summit from a physical studio with our physical host and everybody else is brought in remotely and the audience can interact it was more one-dimensional. It was more they were just viewers. Um, and we pivoted quickly. And I think being a first mover and, and mobilizing the troops and everybody doing it together has a lot of value. So to bring that back to answer your question, yes, there are learning curves and yes, there were, but there was in the state of the world, and which is why you know people are amazing. There was a bit of like, we're all in this together. So everybody was figuring out a little bit for, you know, for the first time, both our speakers and our attendees. So there was a collective we all need to carry on, which was really, really encouraging. So yes, there are those things that we needed to learn in terms of briefing speakers and making sure they're set up, but it was, there were challenges at times, but we were doing it together because everybody wanted to get to the same place. That was actually really, really exciting. And one of the reasons that I feel like our, our summits were, were, were valuable. They were good in, H, in H1 from a tech and platform perspective, we're miles ahead of where we were then now with what we've invested in for what we did across H2 2020. Um, but yeah, those challenges arise. But you know what? At the same time, are they really that much different than the five to 10 Zoom calls that 
everybody's on a day where you're sitting there with your colleague and you're saying, you know, Amy, you're on mute, you're on mute. I mean, the challenges you experience in the, in the live events are very similar and mirrored to the experience that people just became part of their day today. And we're very hands-on and, and all of our delegates, and all of our sponsors have dedicated people who even more so with our digital and uh, events than we ever had with physical, we're closer to our attendees now because it's so much easier to be. So, you know, teaching them the right way and supporting them and, and really having those touch points and dialogue is actually um, because this is the way we communicate now, right? And it's, and it's you know, it's, it's organic in the way people operate their days. So um, there were challenges, but um, nothing that was, um, nothing that really created too much of a fuss. Did, did you get any feedback from any of your clients that suggested that the summits that had moved to a, a digital virtual uh, scenario from being a live scenario, was there any feedback to suggest that they were more productive or the elements of them were actually, you know, better by doing it that way? Um, I know a lot of businesses internally say that their internal management meetings and staff meetings have become far more productive because they tend not to go on as long. They ask, you know, the manager will ask everybody to mute. He'll say what he needs to say, brief the staff and away we go. When you're all sat around a table, there's that opportunity maybe for the discussion to get carried away or to split off in tangents um just curious to see what the feedback might have been from your clients along those sort of lines it's a great question um and we have we have had that feedback and i'll go in a couple of the areas because what, I, what what we really believe it's about is understanding what what digital behavior is to an individual versus physical behavior so let's let's be clear right there's always going to be some elements of physical that uh, you can't replicate or they add a degree of value that it's, it's very difficult to do digitally. But on the overall, and, and, and again, this is about for us and our model of bringing together a group of 150 people who are there for the right reasons, who have provided us the right information, and we've curated an experience for them for them to get their outcomes. Once we understood, and yes, lots of feedback that we take on board about what, what can we do digitally that actually gives a, a leg up on the physical element, that's when we started to really see the value. Yes, as you said, in some ways surpass physical. So what are those behavioral elements? So um, one is um, even those, though there is something really good about a physical summit where senior executives and, and leading tech companies are in a, a safe space, right? For three days, they're at the Ritz Carlton in Naples, Florida or somewhere, you're actually still then taking them out of their, what I'm gonna call their natural habitat, right? So they're there and they're learning and they're connecting and they're having valuable meetings, but it's not organic to the way that they, they work and run the rest of their life pre and post summit. So one of the things that we've noticed and have gotten that feedback is um, when operating digitally and especially with the way that we've done it and have aligned the technology to truly create interaction and immersiveness, right? Our content sessions and broadcasts are shorter because we understand that digital content needs to be shorter, but it needs to be more impactful and tip of the spear. Our content engagement, because we went to that format and encouraged way more interaction in Q&A, our attendance and content went up dramatically. We were averaging like 95% per session for people who were supposed to be there. That for any event, like physically, that almost never happens. And it's because we adapted the content to be the way that people need to consume it or want to consume it in an impactful short way when they're operating digitally. Mm. And then if you take that with what I said about they're in their natural habitat, things they learn and people they've met, it's not like you're then leaving a summit and flying 3000 miles and you have the intention to follow up with all these people, but you're back in the real world. Organically, the connections you make and the things you've learned and the people you've spoken to 
you can very quickly follow up after the summit because it's in, in that course of your day to day. And I think that that's one of the other things that has been really great about the digital summits is I mentioned earlier, we've never really been closer to our, to our solution providers and delegates as we are now. One of the reasons for that is because the barriers of when a, a, a digital or virtual event starts and ends, they're blurred, right? Obviously you're like, these are the three days we have content, but there's so many more opportunities for us to converse and engage with them. And, and, and I know Claudia was on earlier and from a marketing perspective, feed them content that gets them excited and prepared pre and post that, not that we didn't do that physically, but now it's kind of part of that organic continuity journey where the summit is the highlight of that engagement with us. Um, so those are two areas that they've that, that we've gotten great feedback. Um, and uh, thirdly, uh, I believe that the meetings, the one-to-one -one meetings that we really do cultivate and put together, those have benefited from what you said about people interacting with a purpose, right? If you have 40 minutes and you're prepared and you understand why you're meeting with somebody, um, you really get into it and people are, are in their workspace. So they're actually more contextualizing the, the meetings that they're having into how can I apply learnings and different things into my day-to-day -day work. So I think that they have more impact because it's truly that valuable time. And you know, physical summits and events, there's a social currency that exists where you might during a networking or cocktail session, like meet somebody at the bar and you start to chat, but it's like five, six, seven minutes of social getting to know that person before you decide if there's a a content-driven textural conversation to be had, whereas digital, everybody just gets right into it. And because we're very data-driven and who we match together, there's kind of that excitement where this time is, my time ROI is gonna be maximized because this is all set up for me to get that value. So while you remove that social currency, we find that the actual social relationship develops after they've established that there's something business-wise, you know, and that has a, has a synergy there. So those are a couple of the learnings and, and we've gotten, we have gotten really great feedback um, from that. I mean, listen, everybody misses human interaction, but that's not necessarily tied to business events. People just miss it because we're not used to doing this, right? Like that's really it, what it, it, Exactly. And the, the, there's two things that, 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 that I've scribbled here whilst listening to that. Um, number one, the social thing that you mentioned. A lot of people at the start of this, you know, were really sort of banging their heads. How do we recreate that social element of our live event, that human interaction? And, and I think that the blunt answer is you can't that you know there are ways and means and sure you can get creative and you can try and encourage that but the physical the sort of the, the natural reaction that you get from meeting somebody down a computer screen is not the same reaction that you're going to get when you meet them in person you know you won't get those same sort of chemical rushes in your brain just the whole physicality and uh, 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 and biology of it is different so but the flip side to that of course is that because you can't recreate that social aspect it does encourage people to maybe get down to business that little bit quicker to focus their minds on why they're there and what they want to learn and more could perhaps be achieved in 30 minutes of good content than in a 90 minute session that would have taken place in a conference room with 100 people sat there so, so I, I think that lo the loss of the social connection through an internet connection is actually to the advantage of business events if you look at it in that respect so i i completely agree and, and that's bringing it back to what are the what can digital offer in terms of engagement interaction that physical can so i've just taken a couple notes because there's a couple things and examples that i can give you and, and, and just give you an insight into ours a company our approach to this so networking organically happens physically because there's nothing else to do right that, that that's why you're there there are certain sessions that are there that are there Getting down to business is, is important, but we also got feedback that 
we do miss the the human element. And I'm 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 going to try not to use the word networking because it can mean many many different things. But there's still an urge to meet some of the people you don't have prescribed one-to-one meetings with or pre-scheduled meetings or meet some people who are not in your virtual breakout that you have every day. But forced networking, uh, we believe, um, just doesn't really work, especially within our format of how our summits are. But that doesn't mean that we can't create experiences where people come together in a bit more of an informal matter to tackle some commonalities and important challenges that are on front of mind of senior executives and uh, you know, regardless of industry. So what we're actually doing now, which is listening to the feedback from, from our stakeholders and implementing into our 2021 summits is putting some evening sessions in where we break people into smaller groups, but rather than say, you just all work in the same industry, so have a chat, we're bringing on some thought leaders and people to lead those sessions, which will be between eight and 12 uh, attendees that will break up where we're gonna cover stuff like leadership and sustainability culture and diversity and these things that are not just important to businesses, but to the world that have become part of um, an executive's job, right? This is stuff that they need to think about and it's about supporting your people and your workforce. So we're actually gonna be creating some environments where we invite people and we're calling them the evening sessions because it's different than those intensive three hours, two and a half hours of what we produce effectively like television-based content and give them a, a, an area where they can all interact with a thought leader that will bring in to run those sessions and learn and feel like there's some personal development and then break that into discussion. So there's a commonality there and you're creating some of that, but you're still doing it with a purpose rather than saying, let's pick a bunch of people in a room and see if they, they can network. So it's just a different approach because that kind of brings together the, the great points of digital, which is there's a, there's a reason we're all here together and we wanna to get something out of it with the organic nature of, well, then that gives us a platform to share and learn with each other, but it's not about the best AI tools or something that's you know quite technical. It's something that we all have in common. And that's how we're looking to create that element, which again, it's not replicating physical, it's figuring out what's the best way to do it digitally or virtually. Have you have you utilized, um, we'll all be f- familiar with facilitators and moderators in live events world, you know, somebody who is chairing a panel discussion or, or bringing on the next speaker, asking the questions at the end of it. Have you found value in retaining the services of those really good facilitators and moderators? Because one thing that I found is if you're in a group video chat, let's take Zoom for an example, you know, there's 20 people on the screen. The difficulty for me has always been knowing when it's appropriate to speak, making sure everybody gets their say. And if you just open it up to just group conversation, there we go, there's 20 of you on a Zoom call, have a discussion. It can get very crowded. Um, have you any? Have you seen any value in retaining facilitators and moderators to sort of help get those group chats uh, flowing? Yeah. So, are you? Have you seen any of the videos of what are our summits? The experiences from a user perspective. I yeah. haven't. Okay. So let me let me give you a little brief one on that, and I'll explain to you the format because we never leave it to chance like that because that is trying to hope what happens physically can happen digitally, and it just doesn't work. So exactly. Well, I'll make sure Claudia shares with you um, post when we get off, you know, some, some videos to show you what our experience is like. But what we decided to do, and one of the biggest feedback pieces we got from our summits in the first half of the year where we pivoted quickly, but it was quite one-dimensional and they, they logged in the morning and it was just somebody talking at them, was that how do we create actual engagement from the audience? So we, we have built and developed a, a physical LED studio where we run our content from each day. So all of our summits now are three days in a row Mm -hmm. with 
two and a half hours of what I'm going to describe as, you know, broadcasted prescripted television, which is broken into four different segments each morning. And yep. everything is run with our physical host and GDS employees, a roster of great MOCs who are schooled in business and the industry. So they're not just great hosts, but they also have knowledge of the industries that we work in. Yep. And all of our speakers, whether they're a keynote or panelists, are on that LED screen. So what we have done is effectively utilize the technology that Zoom affords, but make television with it. So if you can imagine a physical studio, instead of the broadcast feeds coming out of satellites and trucks, Zoom is the mechanism that we use. So our audience for our summits, when they're watching the opening 30 minute keynote or the panel that comes next, and then we break them out into roundtables and then bring them back to a keynote, they are, it's as if they've opened Zoom and what they're watching is a pinned studio feed like watching television. Yeah. The difference is because we've utilized Zoom as the technology, our audience during live Q&A and during interactive parts of a, of a keynote discussion can actually be brought up on stage, see themselves on stage interacting with both our physical host and the keynote speaker. So it's effectively television, but the audience can be part of it versus just one dimensional. So. That's how we've created, and this kind of goes back to the question you asked before about um, that digital, you know, you know, how do you create um, better experiences digitally? One of the things that we've actually found is that the immersiveness and the interaction of the audience in Q&A is much better digitally than it is physically. Because what you end up having in these in physical summits is if you have a, a ballroom of, of, of 80 people and somebody's delivering a keynote and they might've done a great job and they've done it for half an hour and you go, great, we're gonna break into Q&A. There's a human element of being in that room where, you know, A, nobody always gets a million people with their hands up and people might raise their hand and say something. Well, I thought that was really interesting what you talked about in terms of how you tackled that challenge using ML to enable your staff to da, 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 da. That's your kind of typical physical event Q&A question. Because the way that we produce the content and it is a thought out broadcast across three days where each day has a story, all three days has a story, and we pick the right speakers for the right reason. Because the audience knows that they are actually a part of it and not just watching it, when they come up on stage, we bring them up and they're asking a question. It is a question, but very often they'll ramble on for two or three minutes and give context. And they just become part of that session versus just asking a question and leaving. And it creates this really great engagement between the speaker or the keynote, which is very often a very senior executive or an expert in that area, and that person that just doesn't happen physically very often. So rather than, here's my question, answer it, our MOCs facilitate a dialogue. Now imagine yourself as somebody in the audience watching your peers have that discussion, knowing you can get up there next and join it. So it's very, very about, you know, not leaving it to chance, but giving everybody the ability to participate. And because they're watching it and it's shorter content but more impactful, they have amazing contributions, right? And that's yeah. really what um, that's that's really where a lot of the value, you know, comes for, for the people who are there. Um, and one session each day is broken out to a roundtable of groups of about eight or ten. Every single one has a dedicated moderator who we bring in from the executive community prior to the summit, and they know how they need to run those sessions. There's there's goals of what to lead the discussion across each of the three days. So there's never a scenario and, and sorry, and our executives are picking the topic that they want that track to be for the round table. So it is very uh, curated. We don't just throw 10 people in a room and leave it to chance because there's not value there, right? For, for the people who are in that. In sure. That room. And this, this, this straight away, what you're highlighting there is, is the difference between 
a, a high-end organization like yours pulling uh, a summit together for a client and smaller organizations who, you know, it might be down to resources, it might be down to just inexperience. It's very easy to just create a Zoom meeting and ask, you know, the 60 people who form your little, you know, trade body or your membership association to join and, and have your little online conference. That's great. But uh, I think that when you actually go into the real detail of, of how an organization like yours delivers it for a client it is that preparation it is that briefing of the moderators in advance it's the two days that goes into meeting them individually to say we want this round table to run like this it might only last for 30 minutes but the fact that you, you you might have put half a day's worth of preparation to it and i think that's really where the benefit derives from is in the planning and, and the organization of these digital events rather than the actual execution and, and that's the, definitely agree with you. That's nail on the head. And, and part of that preparation is as well the, the effort that our teams put in and the diligence they do to working hard to making sure that even from the beginning, both on the sponsorship solution provider side, as well as the attendees, that they're coming with the right intentions for the right reasons. They're excited about what they're going to get out of it. Because even with the best moderator and a great keynote, it's still about those hundred people who are there, right? Like they, they, they and their yeah. contribution. So all those things you said are true and it is that operational preparation, but it's also about making sure everybody is there for the value. And that's when, even if there's some operational snafus, like we talked about way in the beginning, they're there for the right reason. You create the right engagement. They're walking away with the value. So it's as, it's as much about them as it is about us, but preparation spans operationally preparing speakers to execute properly. But I always put in that preparation piece, making sure everybody is aware of why they're there and is really excited about that because then their contributions are actually what take things from a seven to an eight to a ten you know to a, to a 12 because it's really about them right that they're, they're the ones driving industry forward they're the ones responsible for thousands of, of, of employees and getting people moving in the right direction in, in these challenging times so um it's not just the quantitative preparation it's that qualitative preparation with the people as well indeed um Something that you touched on earlier, and I made sure I noted it because I wanted to come come back to it at the right opportunity, um, was to do with the actual uh, scheduling of events and summits. You know, if you're dealing with a, a physical event for, for a client, the days or day on which that summit takes place is dictated to because of travel. People have to get there. So naturally, we lean towards hosting that summit on a day or two or three consecutive days, and then everybody disappears. Of course, we're not constrained by travel in this environment anymore, which means that we're not necessarily having to be restrained in when we can run our events because we can only do them once a year because otherwise people won't travel. Have you found a change in the approach to how frequently clients are scheduling events are they looking at it in a sort of slightly different way and maybe getting out of this um fixed we must do it at this time every year because that's when we've always done it type attitude so it's a different <clears throat> excuse me it's a different answer for our summits versus the meet the boss virtual roundtables and virtual showcases that we do for one particular sponsor as a partner versus the summits because the summits are you know, they're, they're our events where we pick the dates um, and we pick them far in advance. And we do our research to make sure is there anything else big going on in the industry. We're obviously not going to schedule retail events in the lead up to Black Friday. So <laughs> that calendar is obviously in place six months to a year before. And because our events um, and we're good at picking the right dates where we know that they fit in the industry. And again, our summits are 
60 to 100 executives, 15 to 25 solution providers. So they make those dates. Do you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, once in a while, somebody can't come as they have a conflict. But that approach really hasn't changed from what we did physically because they're three days. We have 25 you know, tech provider partners and, and mm -hmm. 60 to 100 delegates, they, they come. Um, so, so that really hasn't changed too much because again, the needs haven't changed. They utilize us for, if they're an executive, for you know, learnings, connections, how can they find things to make their digital transformation and initiatives um, more impactful, meeting the right solution providers. And our sponsors still need to generate pipeline and get in front of the right people. So they view it the same way. With the um, with the meet the boss events and the virtual roundtables, where it is a curated discussion, not in front of an audience, where we help again a, a sponsor, you know, a solution provider cultivate, you know, what should that ninety minute discussion be, and then go out and get signups from top notch six executives from kind of a target universe. I think maybe there's been a bit more flexibility there because. They, that's now the norm for in a lot of ways of how people, uh, um, solution provider companies are, are generating pipeline and, and getting at the top of the yeah. funnel and meeting new people. So now that that's more normal, I think they're more apt to do things quicker and do more of them. Um, so I don't think there's been a, 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 a constraint. And I do think, I guess, yeah, there has been a little bit more of an open mindedness. Um, and also from the solution provider side, their ability to, uh, reach more global audiences um, and, and, and take advantage of more of their internal people who would be hosting the sessions as well. So there's probably a bit more uh, fluidity to it, but in a positive way. They can, do, they can do more and we can help them facilitate that. Of course. Um, one thing that I would like to touch on in, in today's podcast, Harlan, is, is the, the, the finance side of things in respect of, of, of budgeting. Um, that the landscape of the last 10 months has completely reshaped how clients will uh, approach the budgeting of their events you know that they, they no longer have to deal with travel with hotel accommodation with meals drinks receptions all of those sort of things so the overheads to deliver you know a virtual summit or a virtual event of any description will inevitably be far less um, and of course that then perhaps gives them scope to do it at a better level by engaging with a company like uh, like you um, how has how has that sort of changing budgetary landscape affected you guys and how closely have you sort of sat down with your own clients to to sort of help them understand the financial value that can still be derived from a virtual event sure so again probably two slightly different answers depending on um the meet the boss side where it's a one to many one solution provider with an audience versus our summits where there are events and it's a many to many mm -hmm. so from the summit side um it's probably more of a straightforward question obviously there are overheads and costs that we, for, for 15 years, uh, were part of executing, which were hotels, meals, flights, and all those kind of things, uh, on-site AV and all those kind of things. Um, so for us, those are gone, but there's a lot of new expenses with running digital events, especially when you've invested like we have into state-of-the-art studios and like literally a television studio to sure, yeah. make that immersiveness and the technology. So so we haven't really, we haven't changed the, the, the pricing or the value or the structure for our sponsors for our summits. Because again, it's actually about they're still getting the same value out of it. They're still meeting people, generating pipeline. On the meet the boss side, um, we haven't changed the pricing structure, but the behavior from the clients is a bit different. Um, so the ones that were already doing roundtables, but are now doing them at a greater scale, because that is gone from being one piece of how they're getting in front of new prospects and meeting new people has become a bigger part of what they're doing. Um, that's been really exciting. Um, and you do see, as you said, that they view it as a vehicle and it's actually just shifting something they aren't able to do anymore into what they're doing now. 
But it's not just because of the need. They're actually seeing the value of doing more of these, even when we go back to the, the physical world, when that does come, if it does, because there's an efficiency to it. What the, some of the most interesting questions that we are having now are conversations with our, with our clients, especially when it comes to Meet the Boss and our one, one sponsor partner event for an audience of their choosing. And whether that's an external audience, an internal audience, there they are faced with things now where they go, well, in the normal world in 2019, forget even 2020, we used to do a road show where we would run 100 events a year in different regions for different audiences. Yeah. Like, yeah. How do you do that? Those are the ones where we're, we are working with now with the same broadcast quality that we run studio-based stuff with immersive audience for our own summits. That's something we're now offering to our bigger clients. We're like, well, how do I do my internal sales kickoff for a thousand people that we used to do, right? Sure. And things of that nature. So they're still figuring out, um, you know, we don't know specifically what our clients' budgets were when they used to get a thousand people together at a hotel in Dallas, for instance. But they, it's just a matter of how quickly they make their decisions and learn. But, you know, we're not a tech provider. We are not just an event organizer. We're a managed service for our, for our clients in that regard. So we go on that journey with them. It's about what are you trying to achieve from this? What's the best way to structure a half day of content? How should you prepare your audience? So when they start seeing the value, it's, it, and they do see it. Um, and, and, you know, the reason we're able to help them with it is because, as I described earlier, we had to go through that same journey for our summits. We, we were faced with the same thing. We ran 55 to 100 summits. How do we do those digitally? It's the same thing that they're going through for their events that they used to hold. So budget-wise, the companies who really want to do well and aren't willing to just sit and say, well, I guess we can't do this, they just view it as this is now what this is, and that's where we need to allocate the, the funds. But we work with them each step of the way so they are understanding the value they're getting out of it and how we work together to, to create that for them. Um, because one of the first things I said, the needs haven't changed from both executives and both for solution providers. If anything, they've accelerated. So Absolutely. it's our job to provide the vehicle, right, for them to achieve those goals. Um, and, that's, and that's where it gets exciting um, because this is going to be the way of working forever. There might be, you know, physical, there will be things that come back in, but this is, as we talked about in a few different parts of the conversation, the efficiency and the value, how it fits into being able to translate that event into some really tangible actions and outputs straight after digital, I think affords an even more exciting opportunity to do that than even a physical, physical event does. I, I want, I'd like to reference something that, um, that I had experience of um, in autumn last year during a virtual event and, and ask you if, if, there's, if there's direct relevance um, to, to, to what you're doing with your own clients. Um, it was a, a, a trade association, a, a membership association, um, and they have been running their annual conference for, you know, 40 years, something like that. And the people who were members of this association have probably been members for that length of time, some of them. They've been there years and years, decades. And the problem that they had is during the Q&A at the end of every session, the same hands and the same people would, would put their hands in the air every year and grab the microphone and you couldn't get them off then for 10, 15 minutes, you know, once they put their question forward. What they found in autumn last year is they, because they were doing it via, they actually did it via Teams, but they used a third party app. They used the Vivox app to do um, digital Q&A. And it was a huge success. Um, suddenly had, they had all these questions coming in from people who'd never put their hands up at the live conference before. They were able to moderate them. They were able to see which questions were popular. And straight away, the decision after the conference concluded was that, even when they go back to running a live conference, they will retain the digital Q&A because it changed the landscape of it. Have you found that there are certain things 
that have taken place in the virtual world and in the digital events that already you're saying we need to retain that even when we go back into a live environment? Uh, yes, probably. I'd be lying if we said we gave it a, a, a ton of thought specifically around that area in Q&A because right now we don't know what the world is, is, is going to bring us. And right now we're a digital first company and we have ideas and how we can blend those things. But what I will say is, and we, we talked about it twice already, and it, it's exciting. That that's a common theme. The interaction and the Q&A digitally is better, hands down, no doubt about it. One of the reasons for that is because I actually believe for people who wouldn't normally raise their hand in a room full of 100 people, with digital, they have the opportunity, A, that we keep the chat open. So it's almost a second screen experience where they're all watching and experiencing this together, but as a group, they're talking about what's going on. And, and also it takes maybe a little bit less bravery to stand up in a room of 100 people because not everybody is that person. Instead, well, they're like, well, I'm on the Zoom call. I'm gonna ask if I can come up and ask a question. Then they're watching themselves on a stage, on a stage with an MOC doing it digitally. It's a bit more organic. Um, so yes, we got more people up and I would definitely look at how we can create potentially like a, a second screen experience when we do get back to physical, where we can see what the chatter is in addition to just the people who wanna raise their hand because it adds value. And it's also great if you can give the speaker visibility over that as well, right? Because they know how people are reacting. What I will say about the people that you mentioned that are constantly like hogging the mic. So of course we, we get that as well. Um, I view it a little bit differently in that you don't want the same person up there every time, but it's actually really important when you have people who are super engaged. And I can think of a couple executives who come to a lot of our summits and do it. It's good to have champions though, because especially for somebody who hasn't been to one of our digital or virtual events before and isn't sure like, oh, do I wanna raise my Zoom in and have them bring me up so everybody can see me on stage interacting. You do want champions that show that actually this is what it's all about, right? You know, ladies and gents, like get up there. So it is good to have champions that are a constant recurring theme because also they're doing it because they're super engaged and they ask great questions. Um, but what that actually does is the reverse. It actually encourages other people to do it as well, right? And we have we have dedicated producers who are in the chats with everybody. And when we see somebody pose a question to the audience, we jump on them and chat with them. Come on up and ask that live. It's you know all you need to do is put your camera on. So we're encouraging that. So digitally, I think those people who are the ones that are first up actually we've turned it into a positive that they're then a, uh, it's a it's a spark plug to get other people involved as well absolutely um if any of our listeners uh have got their thoughts on what we've discussed today with harlan um please do get in touch at event news blog uh, on twitter use the hashtag ein podcast if you're listening to this and you've got any thoughts any experiences things that you'd like to share that are relevant to this please do feel free to to tweet us at event news blog as i said hashtag ein podcast for any thoughts and anything you'd like to hear um as we progress with the podcast um in 2021 it's come to the end of time on my my first episode back after a long while harlan it's been a pleasure to chat to you today harlan davis is the vp of product and innovation at gds group um i understand you've got a, a pressing schedule today harlan so it's been a pleasure to speak to you and thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us thank you so much it was absolute pleasure um happy to be your first victim um and i'm sure <laughs> I'm sure this series will be great. So thank you. Thank you so much and for what you guys do um, in the industry as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much to Harlan. And um, a little reminder and a little prod to everybody tuning into the Event Industry News podcast um, that uh, my good friend and colleague Adam Parry um, has now launched the Event Tech 
talk show. As I said, he's been capably manning uh, the EIN podcast for the last year or so whilst I've been away. Um, but now that I'm back here doing this, Adam is going to be launching and bringing you a new series of podcasts specifically geared towards event tech. That's the event tech talk show with Adam Parry. You can find that we, uh, via the event tech live uh, platforms on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, etc, etc. Go and check that out and uh, check out some of the great tech-related guests that Adam has going to be speaking to. Um, thanks very much, everybody, for tuning in. It's been great to be back. I'll see you on the next edition of the podcast. But for now, it's goodbye from me. And thanks again to Harlan. Goodbye, everybody. Mm -hmm.